Hello, beautiful human, and welcome to the Ryan Magic Show. I'm so pumped that you're here. And before I introduce this episode's guest, I want to encourage you to send me a message on Instagram. My handle is the Ryan Magic. So in this episode, I talk with one of my best friends in the whole world, Carolina Karai, who's an advanced psych K facilitator. She's the completion process certified practitioner as well, an NLP practitioner, the emotional code facilitator, Reiki healer, meditation guide, personal transformational coach, passionate traveler, and she's a master of sustainable energy. She spent the last five years traveling to over 20 countries. We know her in our personal circle is always having a backpack on. She's always out there exploring. She knows more about Melbourne than I know about Melbourne. And pretty much anywhere she goes, she repeats that same level of uh, curiosity and exploration. She loves adventure. Um, but essentially on her journey, she's crystallized her learnings of personal and spiritual development. She also formed this amazing meditation called the Chakra Meditation Method. And so... Carrie is amazing and obviously being one of my best friends, we have worked a lot together coaching each other, talking about personal development. And one of the things that I think she's a master at more than anyone else that I've ever met in the whole world is Enneagram, which is a personality profiling tool. And there's a lot of profiling tools out there. Enneagram is my favorite of all the profiling tools. And the reason is because once you understand your profile, you understand the strategies that you have in the world that you do to, f- to conditionally feel worthy of love. So when I talk about inner child work, when I talk about uh, learning to love yourself unconditionally and building unconditional self-worth and confidence, this uh, personality profiling tool is such an important step and a helpful tool to uncover your strategies for being conditionally worthy of love. So in this uh, episode, we go through what Enneagram is, the common mistakes when taking the test, how to deal with the different personality types as a a friend, relationship, family member, whoever, like you can understand them very quickly just by understanding the personality types. And then we talk about uh, how to reprogram the personality types, an overview of of each type and understanding how uh, each type looks so much so that you can then navigate your approach with people completely differently. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's just revolutionary. It's changed the way that I see the world. Also, we go through what are the best traits of each type and how to adapt each type to ourselves. How do we upload the codes of each personality type? So this is going to be such an incredible opportunity to learn about Enneagram. Like, it's such a comprehensive overview of each of the nine personality types, hence why it's the longest podcast episode I've done, but it's kind of like an encyclopedia or a course on it. By the end of this chat, you'll know how the whole thing works and you'll be able to take so much value from this model and apply it to your life because of how in-depth we go. So this is more like a training than it is a podcast, but it's still it's still a lot of fun in the in the conversation, but it's it's pretty mammoth and epic. So without further ado, let's get in with the one and only Carolina Karai. So welcome to the Ryan Magic Show. Today, I'm here with one of my best friends, Carolina Karai, who is a coach in so many different modalities, such a talented, amazing woman, hence why she's one of my best friends. And we're going to have such an awesome chat here today. And so, Caro, Cody, thank you so much for coming on today. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. This is awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah, so am I. And there's so many different things that I want to kind of discuss today. But one thing I'm, I know that you're an absolute 
genius at because you put so much time, energy, and effort into studying this and then uh, doing doing research around it by actually meeting people, you know, and that's Enneagram, ego personality types. And mm-hmm. I think like I, I've never met someone that knows a personality type model as well as you know Enneagram. And so I would love for you to just kick us off today by just giving the listeners a little bit of an overview of what Enneagram is and, and what the value of it is. And then after that, we can, I'll ask some more questions about the, the particular types. Um, but yeah, that'd be awesome. Perfect. I can talk for hours about it, as you know, but I will yeah. be, uh, you know, I'll try to keep it short. So Enneagram is a typology of personality and there are nine uh, types, main types. But each, each personality of the nine types also has wings, which means that it has traits of a neighboring personality. So, for example, two can have a wing one or three. Three can have a wing of two and four and so on. And nine, eight and one. And so each typology has a basic like underlying belief that is a main belief for this specific type. And so it's very valuable to know that because if you know who the person is and how they function, you can suit you know the conversation and everything well to them so for example you you might not overwhelm someone too much or you might you know be more adventurous if you know that someone is more open or you know you can figure out who is an introvert or extrovert and it's just so much easier to live a life knowing the types of all the people around you and it's very easy actually to do that because at the start you can just ask people around you your friends your family members to do the test and (laughs) as you know them so well you already see the same personality traits in all your you know, family members or friends. And then you can easily recognize straight away when someone enters the room, you can be like, okay, it's either this or that. And then by a few questions that you ask or a few things that they say, you can just say, okay, this is definitely this type because you know, each type has such specific traits of character that you can easily recognize it. And it's just so useful in everything, in business, at, you know, at any work or just mm-hmm. among friends. And when you meet someone new, and you know the type already, or more or less, you know how to act around them, you know how to, you know, how they function and everything. And it's so amazing. It was yeah. one of the main tools of personal development for me. And it has helped me to develop myself so much that I feel like, you know, it's just such a effective tool because it's literally listed. You do the test and then there is like, you know, check checkpoints like this, 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 this. Like you can see this and, and you're like, oh my God, 70% of this is me. You know, yeah, obviously yeah. it's not going to be like 100% because there are also levels of health of, of an ego, of personality. So yeah. for example, an healthy, a healthy giver would give unconditionally, whereas unhealthy giver would be like, I will give you that, but then you have to give me back and it's going to be more manip- manipulated. So, you know, yeah. there are also levels of health. So when you do the test, not every, everything is going to be 100% true, but you're going to see like, oh my God, you know, most of it is me. So when you see it, clearly you're like, okay, this is what I can change. This is my subconscious belief. This is the fear I have. This is, you know, how it works. And it often mm-hmm. also explains why people act like they, like they do. So another benefit of it is to understand people on a deeper level. Because yeah. if you, for example, have some traumas with some people, if you understand their type, you're like, oh my God, they acted like that because they are, you know, type yeah. eight and they, they don't express yeah. emotions that much. They were hurt in the in the past. Or, you know, he's a five, so he couldn't really speak out because these kind of people usually have social anxiety or 
you know, if you know that, yes. it's kind of like you don't hold any resentment towards so, these people. And it's amazing. Yeah. So these these ego personality types, one thing that I found really valuable since you introduced me to Enneagram, you know, 18 months ago or a year ago, whenever it was, was that it's like a, it's like the strategy that someone forms at a young age to actually feel safe, essentially, yes. based on how they're parented. And to get love as well and approval. Yeah. Based on the fact that there's, we, when we're younger, we are dependent upon our parents 100% for safety and survival. So if you go back into like the caveman days as well, it's like hardcore. Like if we didn't have our parents, we'd just die. And so therefore we want to appease our parents by acting in, in accordance to what they want us to do. So they give us, yeah, that's good. You know, well done, positive strokes and don't do that. That's bad. Or, and as a result, we form strategies in order to appease them so that we, th- so like, so they love us because we think mm-hmm. that if they love us, they'll protect us. And I think that for me was like a really big understanding that I've got a strategy of how I think I need to act to be worthy of love which is conditional. I don't think I'm worthy of love unconditionally. And so the Enneagram for me allowed me to understand what my strategy is, my conditions that I believe I need to meet to be worthy of love. And I think if anyone does the test, they go, ah, crap. I would literally believe that I had to. So for me being an achiever as my top thing, which is the third of the nine Enneagram, I believed I had to be an achieve. I had to achieve to be worthy of love because that's when my parents saw me. That's when my dad recognized me. So in life now, if I'm not achieving that unhealthy form, like I have to achieve at all costs because my love is is on the other side of that achievement. As opposed to when I realized that was my strategy, then it gave me the scope to then be able to just go. Ah, oh, you know, I don't. I think I have to achieve, but when I remind myself of that, I can then actually make that. And, and learn to cultivate a healthier relationship with achieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So w- what I'd love for you to do, Caro, is, and what I'd love for everyone, do you have a specific uh, Enneagram test that you recommend that people take, like a certain website that you found that's more effective than other ones? Um, I think that... Um, the one that I did is... Energies, like, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was the one in English that I liked the most. In Polish, I had an amazing test, but now it's off. Right now, I wanted to actually translate it because it was the best test ever. But wow. right now, I don't know why they turned it off. But I think eclectic energies are pretty accurate. Yeah. So if you Google any, if anyone that's listening Google's Enneagram test, then it'll like one of the top five options in Google search will come up, and it says eclectic energies, and Enneagram is spelled E double N. E and then a gram. And so if you guys just Google it, do the test. However, one thing I'd love you to do, Caro, which is going to be, like I say, we do one at a time and then discuss each one is go through what the actual nine types are and then have a little convo about them. Cause I, I've been looking forward to doing this chat because I don't feel, I feel like I know my Enneagrams and maybe yours a little bit more or Danny's, my ex-partner's a little bit more because of how close I was and all your remarks about it, just living together and us spending heaps of time together. But there's some that I actually don't understand that well. And so I'd love just to hear your kind of like rough 
whatever you'd reel off about that particular, like each particular Enneagram. So anyone that's listening could see if they could think of anyone that they know that might fit that category. That would be really cool. And then after we go through these, I've got a bunch of other questions for you. But yeah, can we go through sure. them one? I would love to do that. But at first, I just want to mention something about the yeah. test because um, it's important information if you really want to yeah. do this. Um, because when our personality is formed, it's usually from minus two months when we are still in the womb. I'm laughing, that's minus three months. Um, up to <laughs> 10 years old. Because then... We are only on. Um, we are only operating on emotional level. Our mental body is not developed yet. So then we are pretty much taking everything in as a sponge. So that's why when I'm doing my other healing work, we are coming back to childhood memories, which is between you know zero and ten years old, because this is when our personality is shaped. So when you do the test, and especially if you're already on self development path, please look at more or less teenage years uh, when it comes to how you acted. As your personality because right now as you did a lot of inner work and you know you changed some patterns in yourself it might not be as accurate so don't look at only right now as you act look at your whole life and especially how you acted as a teenager because this is when your patterns were already imprinted in you and then you were playing it out and then as the adult probably you were like okay this is what i can change this is what i the behavior i don't like or you might, you know, realize things that you haven't realized before. But as a teenager, we're just pretty much playing it as it was programmed for us. So, you know, don't look at yourself only right now. Look at your whole life and especially teenagers because it's just the most clear what your pattern is and what your Enneagram you think, is. And it's very valuable to do that. Yeah. Do you think that some people might, uh, uh, when, when they do this quiz and they find out who they authentically are at their core, with their personality type, have you ever met anyone that's actually felt more permission to be who they really are? Maybe as a teenager, they were this person because it was imprinted into them because they were a sponge in their teen in their younger years, and then they actually don't give themselves permission to be their truth, and because they kind of like society says you can do this, you can't do that, or their friends group might be like this is good, this is bad, and then they start to become less authentic to themselves, and then doing the enneagram could give them permission to be more of their authentic selves. Totally. And just not only permission, but understanding and not only by them, but also people around them. Because, you know, in mm. my group of friends, pretty much everyone knows Enneagram. And so everyone understands each other on such a deep level that, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I understand. He, he was just emotional because this is a person who, you know, has the most developed emotional center. And you see, so you come with the understanding that's okay. You know, someone can be emotional or someone, okay, she took action so fast because she's more action-based. And, you know, you understand yeah. people so much that people really are who can express themselves for who they are. But also what I feel is that, you know, who you really are is the soul, is the spirit. So yes. this is all conditioning. So this is something you can change. And the whole point of it is to choose how you want to act. So you don't want to just go with subconscious program on automatic mode. You can see what traits of each Enneagram are the most valuable and just adopt every trait, every, the best traits for, from each of the personality within yourself. You know, mm. So you don't have to like act out your personality as it is. You might only kind of reprogram the things that don't serve you from this particular personality and then adopt the things that do serve you. And then yeah. you can shape your personality instead of you know, playing it on auto mode from childhood. Mm, so it almost gives you like more clarity and understanding as to 
how you like where what you because as soon as you know your enneagram you can start digging as to why why am i more like this what happened in my childhood then you know which traumas to start healing so you like have more freedom right totally totally all right i got a question so many examples of it uh, from myself even when i was doing healings on myself how my particular personality is shaped so i can talk about it a little more when we talk about (laughs) yeah yeah i've got a i've got something that i've witnessed in you that's a bit of a superpower and i'm not sure if you're aware of it but i'm gonna make you aware of it and then (laughs) i want to ask you questions about it so one of your superpowers that I have witnessed is that you you care about people so much that you're willing to overcome any form of like social fears or judgments to give people the resources and and support op- opportunities to live their best life. And I know so many people that are listening to this right now would have str- like troubles telling uh, giving their family the opportunity to learn from what they've learned in personal development most personal development people that i know don't like their family think they're a weirdo and they're too scared to get their family to try any of the stuff whereas you like you said just off the cuff before you all your friends know enneagram because you've made them know enneagram because you care about them enough to get them to do it and you really lead and sell them on something that you think is going to be helpful for them I've struggled with that. I like just drop things uh, and have dropped things there, but I don't say, guys, you need to do this. It's going to change your life. You say to your mom, like, mom, you should try psychedelics. And you're like convincing her to do Mm -hmm. this. Most people would be (laughs) even like horrified to even tell their parents that they've done psychedelics. But you put that like fear and insecurities aside of potentially being judged and you just go, I'm just... I know it's going to serve them. I know it's going to help them. And therefore I'm going to put it forward and I'm really going to bring my heart to that conversation. Talk like, how do you have these, how do you enroll your family and friends in participating more in personal development? So I think that the main thing in here is patience because for my best friend who has been my best friend for over a decade right now, it took me three years before he actually started digging more into spiritual development and personal development, like really, because he was always like listening to me and open to, you know, listen to what I have to say, but he would like make jokes about it, not really be interested, have a lot of resistance. And for for example, with him, it was just like waiting because I knew that at some point he's going to realize how valuable it is. And at some point he's going to open up to it. And now he's the one, you know, convincing people how amazing it is. So, you know, one thing is patience that some people are just not ready to, be open mm. up and it was but, the same with my brother how, i've been waiting for a few years yeah but how did you even because how do you have the how did you keep suggesting things in spite of the fact that there's jokes about it and stuff like how did you stay grounded in your beliefs like how did you even suggest it knowing that there would be resistance okay so for me it was a big journey to be honest uh, at the beginning i wasn't really cautious when it comes to for example their enneagram type or their personality and i I didn't know as much about it either. I was just like so amazed by what personal development and spiritual development can bring that I was just like, oh my God, you guys, you should try it and whatever. And part of my family stopped actually talking to me. They thought that I went a little mm. crazy or whatever. And so I've been through, you know, the time when I was judged and when I, when people just turned away from me, but I just was persistent in my beliefs and in showing them my own change. So I was the example for them. I wasn't yeah. like, at first I was talking maybe a little bit too much about that. But then when they started realizing like, 
she's actually a different person. She's actually way more positive. She doesn't have any stress anymore. She's actually changing. I can see that. So mm. for all my friends and family, they were like, oh my God, she's a different person right now in comparison to a year ago. So right now I see it and I want to try it out. And so I didn't actually have to say much afterwards. At the beginning, I made a little bit mistake that maybe I was talking too much rather than being an example. And then I dropped mm -hmm. it all and I just decided, okay, I'm just going to show them by my example that it is possible to change for better and that they will get massive value if they do it as well. And you know, when, when you're an example, when people see it, they are going to stop judging you because they are going to be like, okay, now I'm curious what she did to be where she is, even though I was resistant to it, even though I don't really understand it all. You know, they have been just opening up more and more, you know, however crazy it sounded at the beginning for them, because then they were like, oh my God, I want to be where she's at. Yes. Yeah, so it's like more, like less talking, more walking and just like that. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. And you've been such a great example for that. Uh, but I have so much admiration for the way in which you, I've like what I've witnessed is how much you care. And I've given you this compliment a fair few times over our friendship of like knowing so many coaches, coaching over a thousand coaches and just feeling like your devotion to serving people as a coach is just, I haven't seen anyone that's been as obsessed with helping people as you. And Thank that you. is like, it's, it's true. It's amazing. And it goes to show because for me, when I talk to my family, I'm more on the defense. I did have a bit of a rough upbringing growing up and, and I've got my own dynamics and stuff there, but I definitely am not at the point where I just start enrolling people in what it is that I care, like really care about. There's still resistance when it comes to family. Sure. On a Facebook live, on this podcast, I mean, I'm going to go to town and I'm in my zone in, a, in an audience that's going to be accepting of it. But I mean, going to my family who I know don't accept it and then having the resilience to keep being patient and showing up and suggesting it, it's, it's really powerful. It's, it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I have had these experiences because, for example, my dad is just not very open-minded to this kind of stuff, like personal development or self-development, but it doesn't stop me from doing distant healing on him. And I'm just saying, hey, daddy, you know, I did some healing. Tell me if anything changed. And he's like, oh, yeah, then my hand stopped hurting me. I don't know what you did, but it worked. And he doesn't want to know what it was. He doesn't want to know how it worked. He's just like, yeah, my daughter helped me. And he's all happy about it. So, you know, some people don't want to know. And that's okay. You just need to accept that they are where they are at. It's their responsibility, their life. You cannot help everyone. You cannot save the world by yourself. You need to do it, you know, in a group. And maybe if I plant a seed in my dad's mind or in someone else's mind, and then another person maybe some, says something else and another person from different perspective, then they, they would be like, oh my God, five people told me about this thing. Maybe I really should yeah. dig into it. So sometimes it's not about being attached to if they listen to you yeah. or not. Sometimes it's about just being, you know, fearless when it comes to fear of judgment, just dropping it all and then planting the seed and then just waiting if something is going to blossom or not because it doesn't have to but you're going to still feel in yourself in your heart that you did the best you can you know and you communicate it on a level that actually this person can understand you and then you just let it go with no expectations and for me it just worked perfectly you know so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're a gem Cody. i feel like that's what you just summarized is self-integrity just knowing your own values and then living in alignment with it and also self-love, just taking that pressure off yourself to need to deliver the outcome. And But but then in because of that detachment, you actually, most of the people that you know do now practice some kind of spirituality or 
personal development thanks to you. So it's really cool. All right, cool. Let's get into the let's let's start going through these Enneagram types. And I'm really excited to listen and and just kind of like we'll do each one and then we'll just have a little chat and do another one and have a little chat. And this is going to be the majority of the rest of the interview because it'll take a little bit of time to go through. Who knows how long it's going to take? But these nine personality types are super, super potent. And I'm really looking forward to the listeners actually doing the quiz themselves. And then here, I, I feel like I've read about different Enneagrams, but I think listening to it being spoken about is always really like rung a lot more true for me. Um, so, yeah, do you want to kick yourself with the first one? Sure. So first type is a perfectionist. And these are the people who are really like visionary. They have a lot of like willingness to change the world. They work a lot or they don't actually necessarily have to be perfectionists at work. But I found that a lot of them actually are. There might be perfectionists in, for example, cleaning or how they house look like or in whichever way that they value the most, the area of their life that they value the most, they are going to be super perfect. So for example, my ex-boyfriend was like, you know, waking up at 5 a.m., working until 9 p.m. and, you know, being super perfect at his work and career, whereas, you know, his room was sometimes clean, sometimes not, it wasn't that important. So it doesn't mean that you're going to be a perfectionist in all areas of your life, but it means that the main area for you, that is the main focus, is going to be like super perfect and going to want to do the best job. And the one mm. thing that I want to say about perfectionists is that, because we're going to talk about other types as well, and sometimes people uh, confuse perfectionists with achievers. And I want to say that perfectionists do this all for themselves and for the world as well, for the idea of saving the world, but they don't actually... Uh, look at what other people think as much so for example if you're going to say hey come on this is all perfect right now you can you know leave this project as it is it is all great they're going to be like nope this is not perfect in my eyes so it doesn't actually matter who says what i don't think it's perfect so i'm going to work harder and harder and harder to make it perfect and so you know for achievers for example that we're going to talk about in a minute they actually look more at admiration or approval of other people so they mm. if someone tells them something they're going to be like ah okay someone approved me and they're going to maybe say okay this project is enough whereas for perfectionists it's like no matter what others say i can i have to say it's perfect and sometimes it actually makes them to procrastinate because you know they start one thing then they don't think it's perfect and they want to make it perfect but it's still not where they want to be okay so maybe they jump into other thing and sometimes they can struggle to actually, you know, finish things that they have started because they never feel like it's perfect enough. So it's actually sometimes if, if it's very unhealthy, it can be actually very, um, you know, yeah. bad for a person because this, if this, it's healthy, this is great. But if it's yeah. unhealthy, you know, so this brings up a really good this brings up a really good point because understanding which any like once you understand, okay, this is my enneagram type. So anyone that's listening, going, holy crap, that is me. I'm absolutely like obsessed with my own methodical perspective of whether something is as good as it can be or not. And they're listening to that. The purpose behind it is understanding it and then knowing when it gets. And because you can now, now that you've got awareness, because you know, oh, holy crap, this is a thing. This is my personality type. Then when someone's like trying to make things perfect, because they have awareness, they can pause and just give themselves permission to surrender a little bit more to that, right? How does that, totally. how is the, how does knowing it help them make it more healthy once they know it? So for example, you know, a healthy perfectionist would do everything, you know, 
the, the best they can. And this is very a very good trait because, you know, if you do everything the best you can, you actually put your whole energy into this and you don't uh, mm. so quote-unquote half-ass something because if you're going to yeah. do something halfway, then the energy of everything in your life is going to be like, oh, halfway, halfway good enough, halfway this, halfway that. Whereas if you put your whole soul into it, your whole focus, then you, you do the best you can and everything in your life is going to be the best it can. So mm -hmm. it actually is a very good trait, but you can realize if you have an attachment to this, for example, that everything has to be perfect no matter what, mm -hmm. then you can, and you can feel tension in your body. Like if it's not perfect, it makes me nervous. Or it makes me like this or that in terms of like bad emotions. Then you can feel like, okay, this is not very healthy for me to do because not always you can make everything perfect. And perfect is a, you know, I don't know if perfect even exists in yeah. terms of like, what, what does it mean to be perfect even? You know, is there anyone or anything that will tell you, okay, this is the border where it's perfect and this is not. Is, you know, everything is Subjective. perfect as it is. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it's also like realizing that, first of all, what, do, what does perfection mean to you? Because you can change your idea about what perfection is. Mm. And this already can shape your reality as a perfectionist in a massive way because, you know, you can realize, okay, I'm a divine being. I, for example, my looks is perfect as it is because, you know, I'm, a, I'm divine. And then you can be like, okay, I'm perfect already. Or, you know, on the other side, you can be like, oh, my lips should be bigger or my breasts should be bigger or my face shouldn't be, shouldn't have that many pimples or whatever it is. It can be, you know, really unhealthy. So you can realize what patterns do you play out. And especially mm -hmm. emotions are your main guidance system. So if you feel negative emotions, you can stop and be like, okay, why am I feeling this? Is it because it's not perfect enough? I don't feel good enough because this is not done in a way that I want it to be. And, you know, sometimes these people can be also uh, quite controlling when it comes to other people because they really want to make things right. So, you know, they can impose this perfectionism on other people as well. And this is also pretty unhealthy because, of course, it's great to have, you know, to aim high and to, you know, bring your team or whoever you're working with or talking with to the highest level possible. But if you're starting to have attachment and tension and stress, then you know that it's unhealthy. So, so it's simply awareness. Mm -hmm. Is it, it's simply awareness. And then you're saying that the emotions, like if someone's feeling really, if they're a perfectionist or any Enneagram and they're feeling like really stressed or overwhelmed, they can go, Oh, emotion. This is like something like, this is some, like I'm feeling like quite unsettled. Wow, this might hang. On, let's just look at what's going on here, and then go. Holy crap! I'm trying to make it perfect. What does that even mean? And then just be like, okay, my perfectionism in this moment is actually getting unhealthy. I'm now I've got a choice because I'm aware I've got a choice, and I'm just going to let it go because it's actually a pretty solid standard. And then move on. And then they've stopped that perfectionism from becoming unhealthy and actually making their life less empowering and less fulfilling. Totally. And, you know, there are a lot of different methods that we can talk about uh, at the end to work with it. But even awareness and presence in the moment can literally solve anything. You know, it's just not super easy to do that because 95% we are operating on our subconscious mind, which means 95% of the time we're going to have these programs playing out. But if you can get conscious and present in the moment and really do everything consciously, you can choose what personality you're going to be in the moment and you can choose mm -hmm. how you're going to act without any program playing out mm. in your mind. So presence is a big thing in this. And so things like meditation or just mindfulness will totally help to yeah. you know, shape your life in the way you want. 
Yeah, beautiful. I love that. And uh, yeah, as a meditation teacher, I talk about one of the biggest functions in your mind that is strengthened, like the muscle in your mind from meditation is the part of our mind known as the witness, which is pure function is awareness. So that's like super potent advice there. And okay, cool. That's that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing the perfections. I feel like I understand it a lot more now than before you explained that. So thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Let's My go into pleasure. let's go into giver. Tell us a little bit about the giver. Um, Enneagram number two. Okay, so the giver is a very emotional person, really empathetic. Obviously, this person wants to give everything to everyone, and you know sometimes an unhealthy giver can sacrifice, oftentimes actually uh, themselves for other people. And you know, in this, I realized actually that for a giver. Um, often, if you know five love languages, the love language is act of service because, you know, they like to give. So they also like to receive. And so they express love in a way that they want to receive it. So they, you know, they are going to make you a tea when you come to their place or they're going to uh, think of you where, when they are in the shop and buy you your favorite fruit or whatever it is. Or they're going to invite yeah. you somewhere where they know that you're going to get a lot of value out of it. They just love giving, um, you know, in, in a healthy way. Unhealthy givers can be really manipulative and really because they want to like give but they also want to get in a way mm-hmm. um they can be like okay i have i've done so much for you and now you're so ungrateful and they can kind of be manipulative in this way but actually most of the givers that i've met are are healthy givers so i haven't fortunately haven't had a lot of experience with unhealthy givers um mm-hmm. but yeah these these people are really focused on uh, acts of kindness and just providing for everyone everything that they need and really caring about the group or, you know, they are really good at the jobs like secretary or, you know, right hand of someone because they just love helping others and being, they actually are really emotional. So they feel other people a lot. So they literally mm. can feel in the moment oftentimes when someone needs something and then provide that. So it's a very great trait to be, you know, so in tune with other people that they can actually meet their needs. But it also sometimes causes them to forget about themselves uh, because they are so focused on others that they forget that they are the main person that they're going to spend their whole life with. So they should meet their needs at first rather than putting someone else first. Yeah, a mums, mom, a lot of mums givers where like they're, they're like running the house and they're just giving to their kids and they're giving to their husband. Is that a yeah, done? It's like, yeah. It could be like an archetype, you know, of a mom who is like really empathetic, really compassionate towards the kid, really loving, really giving everything that the kid needs. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um, yeah, I really like that understanding for anyone that's listening who would go, yeah, that really sounds like me. And just play play into the idea that that could be you. Then do the quiz after and then just go, okay, cool. Well, what you need to get from this is to know that it's really important to, to go, when am I giving to the point that I'm either going to resent people because I'm overgiving and I'm giving even though I don't feel like it in the moment? And am I giving enough to myself? That's that's really powerful advice because I'm my wing is giver. So I'm an achiever, as you know. I'm an achiever giver. So I can really, yeah, I can I can relate to that. Totally. And one thing that I really want to mention as well is oftentimes they feel guilty if they don't give as well. Mm. It's like, oh my God, I cannot give to, to someone. So now I'm I'm supposed to feel guilty because I haven't met someone needs and things like that, or you know, shameful about it as well. And so this is also something to look for if you want to figure out your personality and and see if I I you know if saying no is easy to you 
or if actually stating your boundaries is something hard because then you're, go, you're like, oh my God, I cannot say no to this person because this person is going to be hurt if I say no. And in this way, you're actually blocking your own throat. You're actually not expressing your authentic truth by not saying no. And so I think that personal boundaries is something that givers should really focus on because this is something that a lot of givers just don't have or not very strong at least. Yeah, that was a massive issue in in my last relationship with not not understanding my own boundaries and and giving, but not really concentrating much on receiving and and then giving and resenting as well over time. Um, okay. Yeah, cool. That's great. Please talk about me next, Mister Achiever. Achievers. <laughs> I love achievers. <laughs> My boyfriend Ricky is an achiever as well. I just love this personality. Um, yeah. But let's talk about also some bad traits. So achievers yeah. are really motivated, re- can really concentrate on what they want to do, are really inspired and determined. And this is a very beautiful trait that everyone can actually, you know, uh, take on if they want to take the best trait of, of an achiever personality. They, they are very consistent with their work. Um, they can really motivate other people. They are great leaders. Uh, they are not afraid to step out of their comfort zone and just lead and just, you know, mm. try new things as the first one. And they're really, really good at, you know, managing people. And, um, you know, especially if they have a healthy giver wing, they are really empathetic. Um, mm. And also even artistic wing because the next personality for is an artist because achievers are also uh, a personality based on emotions a lot because uh, we, we might talk about it uh, a little later, but uh, I'm going to talk about two and three and four. There are personalities that are mainly, their main emo- center developed is emotions. So there is emotions, action, and intellect. And so two, three, four are emotional people. So they actually also, achievers also can tune into other people as well and lead them in a way that, you know, everyone will follow. So they are great speakers um, and, you know, great business leaders and um, kind of, yeah, jobs like that. And uh, on the other side of that, beautiful yeah. personality, they can overachieve. So, you know, the main belief here is I'm not worthy of love if I don't achieve. So they can, you know, w- over work over hours, be super exhausted, have chronic fatigue because they achieve so much that at some point their body is just like, nope, and mm-hmm. they just can't do it anymore. So, you know, these are people that also can work 14 hours a day because they innerly don't feel like if you know if i'm not going to do that then i'm not going to be approved i'm not going to be loved i'm not going to yeah. be connected to people and that's ultimately what it is so it can be sometimes really unhealthy and achievers often don't even realize that that's what's going on um, and they just work 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 and now suddenly they realize oh my god i've just spent 15 hours in, in front of my computer but they are just so focused and they do such a great job that sometimes they don't feel that they don't maintain the balance between their work life and personal life and, you know, friends, relationships and things like that. So it's also something to um, keep in mind that, you know, balance is very important in this personality type because it can be easily lost because they are so passionate usually about their their job and their career and whatever they are focused on. And that's beautiful and that's great. But this also can have effect on health or, you know, relationships or other areas of life. So it's very important to know that if you're yeah. an achiever. And what you're saying right there, like, as we know, like that happened to me, like, because, and I, I want to touch on the belief as well. I literally believed that if I didn't achieve, I wasn't worthy of love. So of course, if that's what you need to be loved, which is what we're driven by most at a core safety primal level, like to do what we need to do to be worthy of love, 
and therefore be kept safe. It's like I worked so hard and I did burn myself out and I did not have balance. And so being aware of it's allowed me to go, okay, cool. Now I can ground myself in. And if it wasn't for that awareness, you know, I just would have kept burning myself out, burning myself out, burning out myself out. And so I really like that you mentioned the belief for that. I believe that I need to achieve to be worthy of love. Or if I don't achieve, I'm not worthy of love. Would the givers be like, I believe I need to give to be worthy of love? Um, yes. And if I don't give, I'm not. And then the perfectionist, I have to be perfect to be worthy of love. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, cool. yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of people that are coaches would be achiever givers. A lot of coaches mm-hmm. are achiever, yeah, definitely achiever givers. And okay. there's also one thing that I want to mention about that because, you know, sometimes if for, for achievers especially, if they realize, oh, my God, I have this personality of an achiever now, I have to change it, I maybe I shouldn't achieve that much and things like that, it often happens, you know. And then yeah. I just really want to mention that because it's beautiful that you achieve. Like it's beautiful yeah. to have personality that you have because every personality was chosen by your soul for the purpose so my personality is a loyalist that someone wants that likes to be around people and loves to help people was chosen for purpose because now i'm a coach i'm a healer and i love helping people and you know this is my purpose in life so for you you know to have a business to uh, be a leader it was chosen for purpose so you know any personality just don't don't think that you know I should get rid of it. It's not like that. You should just get aware of it and then use the best traits that you already have within you to serve you the most and to serve the world the most. And then, yeah, just get rid of the ones that don't serve you and then adopt the ones that serve you even more. And then you can have a perfect ego, perfect personality that is just going to serve you the most in you know every everyday life I think, situation. I think that's so, so important because, yeah, the ego in especially in the personal personal and spiritual development world is is a lot that's judged it's like ah that's your ego and it's as if like ego is bad and when with me as an achiever like you said that's exactly what happened to me i was like oh no i've been coming from a place where i need to achieve to be worthy of love and my actual achiever went now i need to achieve at not being an achiever (laughs) and i actually it was still the achiever driving (laughs) not wanting to be an achiever, but that was like a not ownership of self. So I came up with this little model for myself around my ego personality type that I will mention to others, which is name it and tame it if required. So like if I'm noticing that the achiever is becoming unhealthy, I'll name it. Ah, that's my achiever. And then I'll tame it. Like I'll just bring it back to a healthy level, but I will never shame it or blame it for any of my problems in life. So it's like, I'll name it and tame it, but I don't shame it or blame it. And I think that for me has just been really helpful so that I can actually, like you said, embrace how I was meant to show up in this world because being an achiever is what has allowed me to change hundreds of thousands of lives. So, yeah. Totally. And, you know, when we are kids, our personality shapes in a way that when we, when there is a trauma, we, we want to keep ourselves safe and we react in a specific way and oftentimes in the trauma we actually split and our consciousness acts in you know can feel different things so one part of us can feel afraid one part of us can feel you know angry or whatever it is and this is how our personality is shaped and so this achiever and this giver within you for example Mm. are part of you and you cannot just like brush them off you have to fulfill their needs and even if it's you know 
a giver could be like, okay, I'm gonna give this much to be fulfilled, and then the achiever part can be like, okay, I can only I can achieve this to be uh, to for my needs to be met. But you cannot just like say, okay, I'm getting rid of this. You have to actually realize, do parts integration within yourself to have awareness and to you know meet the needs of the parts because they are not you're not gonna get rid of them. You can just as you said, tame it and actually adjust it to yourself. But you're not yeah. just going to be like, okay, I don't have this part of me anymore. Because if you suppress it even more, then it's going to come out in a way that is going to be even more detrimental for you than it was before. And you know, it's also true for achievers, wing artists, because uh, we're going to go to the personality artists uh, further. But artists love to just be in flow, be free, be creative, do whatever they want. They feel intuitively in the moment. And achievers want, <laughs> want to have a plan. Okay, this has to be done. Effectiveness, this, 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 schedule, everything in time. And, and you know, these two personalities are completely different. So in order to balance them out, you got to know both of your parts, internal parts. And, you know, as we did before, uh, there is a process called part integration that I also do with my clients as we did together as well. And, you know, then you can figure out what does this achiever within you want? What does this giver or artist within you want? And then you can integrate them to find the perfect balance between them. So, for example, okay, three days of the week, I'm super efficient. And then two days of the week, I'm in my artist, I'm just creative, I have nothing in my schedule, and I'm going to be fulfilled like this. And it depends on everyone, you know, it's not like a, there's ultimate rule to do that, because everyone needs to figure out who they are within and what these parts are, and then have a chat with them and, and know what these parts need. And oftentimes, yeah. one of these parts is going to be suppressed, because we wanted to identify as only one of them to keep ourselves safe and loved, and then the other one will be completely just abandoned, and we need to, you know... Uh, take it back to ourselves. We need to see that it's a part of us. It's mm. it doesn't want to harm us. It just wanted to keep us safe. It just had a different strategy and different idea of what this safety and you know love means. Mm. And one thing, one thing that popped up that was beautiful. One thing that popped up there for me is something that I've realized that's helped me better function and be more empowered with my ego personality types being the achiever giver is understanding that I need to be able to meet that need for myself, meet that belief for myself. So when it comes to the achieving, I need to actually recognize myself as like one of the most healing things that's helped me with the achiever archetype when I'm feeling unsafe. So going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I noticed this actually last week propping up again. I was like, hang on a second. I'm going on social media a bit. Why am I going on social media? Far out. What I'm actually wanting is to like see if I've been recognized, see if I've had likes, comments. And what I was essentially going is, have I achieved? And then I went, holy shit, that's why I'm going on social media so much. Okay, cool. So obviously, I'm, I'm desiring more recognition. That part of myself needs to be seen more. So now what I've done is when I feel myself being pulled to that, because I have awareness now, then I go and look in the mirror and I really see and recognize myself. And that's helped me a lot. Same thing with the giving. Like I, as the giver, giver archetype, I love giving to others. So I go, what do I need to fulfill that giving? It's like, well, the unhealthy giver wants to give to receive. So what can I actually give to myself? And then I'm still going to create the space to, to give. So every night I do this thing when I, I do some mirror work, I actually create the space to uh, recognize and honor three other people and give them like some words of affirmation and, and really see them for who they are. 
And that for me is like my opportunity to fulfill that part of myself and honor that desire of the giver um, in, in, in a healthy, in a healthy way. way. But I think it's really important just to understand. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to understand that, you know, you can meet them in a healthy way, but often it's, it's us as individuals that will meet the needs of that particular uh, personality type. Totally. And integration of parts, the one part of you can actually meet the needs of the other part of you within you. So you don't actually have to have external uh, factors or people meeting your needs. It can be all internal. But it's also good to talk to your friends and family and to, you know, when you already know your needs, to just express yourself authentically. Like, hey, guys, look, this is what I need. I need words of affirmation or I need this. I need support or whatever it is that you need, because then you can meet these needs in so many different ways that you don't have to only rely on yourself or even on your partner or on your family member. You can have so many people that you can rely on that it just makes it easier for you to fulfill all the needs. Yeah. And what I've uh, kind of realized recently is I need to ultimately, at the end of the day, be the first one. Like I always need to have that as a baseline to know that, okay, cool, I can do it for myself, but then discern when I... Maybe I'm not feeling strong enough to meet it for myself and then I'll go elsewhere. But I always need to know that I'm the one that at the end of the day needs to see me the most. Yeah. Totally. I agree with that totally. Should we talk about my best friend and your partner next? Uh, Yes. I mean, And my (laughs) ex-partner? Yes. uh, You know, my partner is three wing four, which means achiever wing uh, artist. So let's talk about his artistic side. And so, as I mentioned before, artists are very expressive. They just love to express themselves. And their main thing is to like feel and they perceive the world through feeling their emotions. And so they they often identify, like they think that what they feel is them. So they identify with their emotions, thinking that how they feel is their identity, which sometimes can be beneficial, sometimes detrimental, because feeling is really important in your internal guidance system. But sometimes how you feel is not the actual truth, wholeness of who you are. So, you know, it's not that easy for them to zoom out of the situation and kind of like see their situation for what it really is, because oftentimes these feelings come from our subconscious patterns and we kind of can project our emotions on the situation or or a person and it doesn't necessarily have to be true or sometimes they can be you know a little bit imbalanced in their perception in terms of being so emotional about something that they don't see a logical perspective of what's going on and then this emotional spiral can lead them to actually be really down and sometimes even depressed or suicidal because they are so focused on their emotion that they are just you know coming layers of sadness over layers over layers over layers and it suddenly becomes a big depression and then they don't know how to get out of it because they are so down and so depressed that it's very hard for them to see other perspective yeah i really love this uh enneagram the title of the artist because you can think in your mind and imagine an artist which is usually like a little bit more alone time creative genius they like to be by themselves they're usually pretty dramatic like poet like imagine a poet reading a poem or a painter Um, and yeah, so can you give an example, like just as an example with the, 
when they identify with their emotions. So they might be having a bad day and they're like, my whole life sucks as opposed to being like, I just happen to be feeling some sadness today. It's like my life is completely wrecked. Yes. That's exactly a perfect example of what could potentially happen. And so, you know, it's just kind of like seeing everything through your emotional filter rather than also layering in some logic to it. So, you know, I, my yeah my whole life is ruined right now because i didn't get this job i'm i suck i'm the worst person ever i will never get a job i will never have a partner because i i'm so bad because it didn't work with this person and logically you think like you know there is like so many people in this world of course you're gonna find someone that you're actually gonna feel maybe even better with but in this moment this this emotion is something that guides them and leads them to you know this spiral and that's also and we are talking about unhealthy uh, artists right now because, you know, there are a lot of healthy traits of an artist, like being super creative, being super expressive. There are very good be- and being emotional, feeling other people as well, being really empathetic. So, you know, there are a lot of great traits of an artist that we can mm. learn, um, you know, that we can learn from them. So, you know, let's not only talk about the unhealthy. Yeah, because, uh, but I tell you what's interesting. Outside of it. Because when whatever your Enneagram, your main Enneagram is, usually have like one main wing so that's next to it that's why it's called the wing that's like your secondary main personality type so you'll be a three wing two five wing six seven wing eight whatever it is and i'm a three wing two but i also you usually can slide into the one that's not your wing as well quite easily right so if you're a three you have a predisposition to be like one like two or four one will be stronger. So I'm a three wing two. So my twos, I'm in more than I am in four, but I can still slide into four. And after my breakup recently, like I feel like what you were describing there about, I'm never going to find anyone. Like I was really embracing my inner artist in an unhealthy way, really feeling like that drama of the situation. Um, as I started to grieve the relationship breakup, which is interesting because I don't feel like I go in my artist heaps of the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with these wings, it's usually like it's different for everyone because some, someone can be 20% artist and 80% a giver in your case of an achiever, right? Or it might be 50-50 wings or it might be. So it's, it always varies, mm-hmm. but everyone has both wings anyway within themselves. The percentage of which wing they jump into just varies, but everyone has both of the wings always. Mm-hmm. It just can be just 5% or, you know, 50-50 or 60-40, whatever it is but everyone has always two wings within themselves. Mm, Yeah, that's really cool to know. Awesome. Should we talk about uh, number five, our good friend Shane? Yes, uh, we can. (laughs) And this is also uh, the common trait of four and five is that they are loners, as you mentioned before, because this is also a very important thing to mention with uh, artists, that they love to spend time with themselves. They love to daydream. They love to just be out there dreaming and idealizing their life and also uh, just one thing that I think that is important to mention is that uh, artists can have issues with jealousy because they idealize everything in their mind. And so they, for example, they, oh, this person is so amazing. And then in reality, maybe this person is not as amazing as they mm. think, but they like to just daydream of how amazing this ideal partner is. So sometimes they are called tragic romantic as well. You know, yeah. and, um, they often like to idealize things or even, you know, I have this dream, but I don't want to achieve this dream because it's not going to be my dream anymore. It's going to be something that I do, but I want <laughs> to dream of it. I want to have a, have like an inspiration from mm. it, you know, so that also is uh, important to mention. And that makes uh, so and much sense. Is a big, 
jealousy is a big thing because they are idealizing someone else's life and they think, oh, this person has it so well. Why don't I have it so well as this person? Although, of course, everyone struggles. But the, in this state of mind where they are making it so perfect in their mind and dreaming of it so perfectly, they, they think that everyone has better than they do. So that is so funny because because Danny, who's one of your best friends and my ex-partner and one of my best friends still as well, is she in the relationship? That was one thing that was a big stretch for us because she was always like, a tragic romantic like we should be doing this and it was like always like just assuming that it should be this is perfect amazing like thing and and therefore it was like put a lot of pressure on the relationship because it wasn't very realistic it was more like a fantasy yes exactly and often oftentimes artists are actually a little bit perfectionist as well because they like to control their environment they really value um comfort and beauty oftentimes because beauty is like you know artistic expression so if something for example their surroundings their house or their looks is not super perfect they also might feel uncomfortable and it also can be an unhealthy trait and i saw it in mm. a few friends of mine that you know that it is my house it is my table this has to be done like this because otherwise it's not beautiful enough and so they can, can also be a little bit controlling uh, sometimes mm, yeah no that makes a lot of sense thanks for sharing though so what is the belief of the artist oh it could be the belief of the artist like i feel like there's uh many of them a lot of a lot of that is about like emotions and just identification with the emotions um, yeah. and just being like unique. lonely and like no one yeah unique that's also like i'm an individual um i need to be like special and individual and expressive to be loved like i need to be yeah i think unique is a is a great word like so i believe that I, almost even yeah so i believe i have to be unique and extraordinary and individual to be worthy of love yes and you know they, they that's why they sometimes separate uh, themselves from other people and they because also that because they are really empathetic but it makes them feel like they are very unique if they dive into their sadness and they they feel like no one else feels in such a bad way as they do. And so they almost meet the needs of this uniqueness and individualism by focusing on how they feel because they feel like no one else feels in the way that I feel or no one else expresses themselves in the way that I do. And mm. so this individualistic thing um, is, a, yeah, is a big thing for them. Yeah, cool. That's really interesting. I'm really enjoying this conversation, by the way. It's getting such potency. So much potency and depth to this Enneagram model. So talk to us about the uh, investigator. Okay, investigator. So I'm not worthy of love if I'm not right. Uh, they are all about being right. And, you know, everything, because they their main thing is to gain knowledge, gain experience. And so they are very logical people. Um, they always see things in black and white and they have to have everything organized in their mind because they feel really unsafe um, and they pretty much have a big fear of being wrong within themselves because probably in, in their childhood they were you know maybe punished for being wrong or whatever it was but these are people that are very quiet very withdrawn they usually when they are in a group of people they usually sit just somewhere in the corner observing everything not really talking much but in their mind they're actually thinking a lot and just kind of creating different scenarios strategies organizing things and they they the big thing is like self-doubt and generally doubt in everything. So, you know, even um, with one of my best friends, he has 
had a lot of uh, great experiences when it comes to self-development and spirituality, but it took him a year or two to actually feel grounded and have no doubts about what was happening, you know, in terms of his personal experience and uh, breakthrough that he's had. So, you know, sometimes it takes time for them to actually start doubting uh, because they have to know everything so thoroughly and so logically. Everything has to be like shaped in boxes in their mind for them to feel safe. So, you know, mm. um, yeah, they're very logical people and really withdrawn. They t don't talk much. You need to start the conversation with them first if you want them to talk. Um, and oftentimes they would have social anxiety because they learned in childhood. And this also is for artists. Um, they oftentimes learned in childhood that, you know, it's not safe around people. So they like to spend time on their own because oftentimes they come from families where they, for example, couldn't express themselves for who they are. And they didn't feel like it's safe to be themselves. So they felt safer if they actually spent time with themselves rather than with other people, with parents or, you know, primarily uh, care caregivers. So, um, yeah, both fives and fours could be really withdrawn. And sometimes it takes time for them to build trust because they need to really, you know, kind of meet you a lot of times to kind of feel you. And only then they can open up. And, yeah, with my one of my best friends who took me quite a bit of time, probably like a half year to a year to fully, you know, get him open up to me, um, which is completely different case for loyalist uh, wing seven as who I am, you know, super open and, and things like that. So it's always easy to for an extrovert to come to introvert and kind of slowly start opening them up. And what I actually realized, which is pretty interesting, that a lot of people that I spoke to um, said to me that being an introvert was kind of like a safety coping mechanism for a lot of people actually it wasn't like something that they chose to do and so i believe that it's the the perfect balance is achieved when you can be extrovert and introvert whenever it's needed and um, so you know as i said before you choose however you want to act in the moment because if you meditate or go for a walk with yourself or set your own goals it's great to be an introvert to, to know what is inside of you uh, and it's great to be extrovert when you're among people or you want to run an event or whatever like this. But oftentimes this introvertism in fives, if it's unhealthy, then it just stems from like, I feel unsafe. I'm closing myself from everyone. And it's not like a healthy introvertism, kind of like a decision. Okay, I'm just going to now focus on how I'm feeling. It's more like I'm just going to block myself and put a wall because it's unsafe uh, to speak to others. So it's also great to realize if you're an uh, observer um or, you know, if you are an artist, because it oftentimes happens for artists as well, what kind of introvertance you have? Is it healthy? Is it actually like I'm choosing now to focus on myself, but I'm okay with other people around me? Or is it I'm blocking myself from the world because I have to keep myself safe? So are they like the sort of people that are just really into uh all the facts, like they have to know what's correct and scientific and logical. Yes. Yeah, they're searching, yes, searching totally. absolute truth of the matter. And yes. Yeah. Okay, Truth cool. is the highest value in here and knowledge. And so they are perfect scientists, uh, you know, engineers, people who just love kind of figuring out, solving problems and just being very logical about it all. Yeah. And so they believe that if I'm not right – if I'm not correct, if I don't know the truth, then I'm not worthy of love. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. And uh, I feel <laughs> all the, all the, is Elijah a five? Yep. Yeah. So one of our friends, Elijah is a five. Shane's a five. Another one of my new clients, Nick, who will probably listen to this is a five. And uh, 
yeah, there's just like this real need to to like look everything up, do the research. How do you know is that actually factual or is that just feelings? Whereas like an artist would just be like straight out of the feelings, right? And it's just yeah, don't need any whatever. Facts. My intuition says this, so I believe that because my intuitive feeling is like that. Whereas <laughs> observer would be like, "Come on, you don't have a scientific proof. Which university proved this that this is actually true?" Because they feel threatened by not knowing the truth. But actually, what my best friend observer told me is that if you actually have a good argument why something is true and it will override a belief of a five, they can actually change their belief. And so they're not super close-minded always because they are curious and they are oftentimes open to other perspectives. But you need to really prove your point and make them feel like you, you are right. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you just uh, don't want to do that because sometimes you don't want to have a two-hour-long debate to actually prove your point. Sometimes you might yeah. be just like, okay, whatever, I just disagree with you. And yeah, that's what and happens. Sometimes where, you know, house, <laughs> and sometimes it's going to be hard. And sometimes it's going to be hard to actually know more than an observer slash investigator does on a topic because of how much time they put into to actually researching something. <laughs> totally. And they always remember the source of information. Whereas for me, I was like that because I also have a part of an observer within me. But right now, if I just get to know something, some new information, knowledge or whatever, I don't actually pay attention like, you know, to remember which university or who said that or which doctor or whatever, because I just say something in, I feel that it resonates with me. It kind of makes logical sense to me. And that's it. Whereas, you know, they observers need to know where it comes from, what's their source, if the source is actually reliable or not, because they just have this greed for knowledge and greed to know almost greed that's why i'm saying that because it's unhealthy unhealthy observer would would have greed within and this greed can spill over other areas of life like for example money um oftentimes or just Mm -hmm. like storing things uh, in case of you know unsafety you you're kind of greedy and you store things you know in case something happens and so but greed for knowledge as well totally and it comes from feeling unsafe, like all these things. So someone's like, I need to know because if not, I could be unsafe and then everything's, you know, my life's going to be in danger. I think one thing I want to mention as well is that some of the Enneagram have multiple names for the same one. So like the artist is sometimes the individualist, sometimes the artist, artist. The and romantic. Is it called the romantic as well? Yeah, sometimes as well. And I tell you one thing that I wanted to mention that's funny about four and five if you ever watch a four debate with a five it's just the worst thing <laughs> and it was funny because i watched danny i've watched danny debate with uh elijah and shane and it's like essentially emotion versus logic it's essentially yep. like the emotion the artist doesn't want to give a shit about the facts and just goes hard with the emotion and it frustrates and makes the uh it makes the uh the investigator the wing the the five feels so unsafe they're like what how did you just say that you don't know anything about this (laughs) (laughs) totally i know it's important to mention now that a five also has a wing four within so in this case this particular investigator or observer suppress this emotional part of them so much that they don't identify with it at all but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist within them in the same way as the four in this situation doesn't identify with the logical part but it's just massively wow. suppressed because oftentimes for example fours were made uh, 
you know, stupid or whatever in childhood because they were not logical, they were emotional. So sometimes they would not come for the exam because they felt bad or they would not study because they had emotions coming up. And because our society is shaped in a logical way, like you need to study, you need to achieve, you need to uh, pass the exams, they in childhood might feel like, I, you know, they can't be emotional or they have to be logical and then they disowned and suppressed this logical part of them completely because they didn't want to be like that. They wanted to express themselves for who they are. So I really yeah. want to mention that uh, this part integration is so important because you need to know that both of these parts are within you. And if you really uh, resist someone else who is, for example, logical or emotional, that means that you suppress this part within yourself. So it's good mm. to look within yourself and be like, how am I the same as this person who triggers me right now? Yes, that's so interesting because the fives and the fours that we know, I feel, I feel like that is a really tough junction point between the two Enneagrams, the four and the five, because they're so different. And I can see, like, I don't, I don't actually know a five or a four that fully embraces the opposite or the, mm-hmm. the other part of themselves. Like if we use Shane, Elijah and Danny, they both, they all play to their extreme. Mm. Don't mass it. Don't mat, don't fully own the other part. That's so interesting. Yeah, but it cool. comes with it comes with practice and with over time as well, you know. Because like I yeah. I know people like my best friend. He's now more of a four than a five because he's you know he balanced himself out so well that now he can think logically, but he can also express how he feels. And so it also you know he started self development a few years ago. So it it comes with awareness. It comes with inner work. So you can't expect someone who had no idea about this internal conflict to just switch it in a moment and to just suddenly be you know balanced so i think it comes with practice as well that's why yeah that's really cool that's really cool the idea of just you can play around with this and hack it and and get it right and and actually solve these parts and and become more full in in yourself and more productive and more empowered in your life and more fulfilled yeah cool all right let's go let's go to six yay my favorite (laughs) (laughs) yeah six is me uh, six Ooh. wings, seven specifically, but I also have traits of a five. And so sixes are called loyalists mainly. Yep. Um, and so what the main thing is that six, six needs support, needs people around, needs to feel like they're included in the group. So for example, for me, a few years ago, I literally didn't see a point in spending time with yourself. I didn't even know why would I do that. If I would go for a walk, it's like, I'm going to call a friend because like, why would I go for a walk on my own if I can go with my friend? Like, you know, the only time I spent with myself was when I read a book or played drums or things like that. But other than that, I was constantly among people. And it also comes Mm. uh, from the wing seven, which is enthusiast, next personality, which is very much about people as well. But, you know, I literally didn't see a point. And so I always kind of looked up to authorities and to someone else tell me what to do. And so these people can be easily controlled by other people because they are submissive, oftentimes subconsciously, to the authority. And also it's a massive fear of breaking the rules because sixes are loyalists, which means there are rules about everything, how to act, what to do. Um, It also plays out differently in every uh, six, but it's all about the rules. And so that's what I can actually bring up a, a situation from my life. And it might seem so innocent, but... And, you know, I don't blame my family or whatever for 
programming me in this way because they didn't know. But one situation that I did um, using the completion process, one of the methods that I used to come back to childhood memories and release the emotions that you felt so you can reprogram your subconscious mind, I came back to the memory where I was eating something. When I was three years old, I was eating dinner or lunch. And uh, my family said something like, if you don't eat this, the neighbor will come and get you. And I was just so mm. scared that if I don't follow the rules, there will be consequences. So I better follow the rules of what an authority says, because otherwise something bad is going to happen to me. So it also mm. comes from unsafety. If I don't follow the rules, something bad is going to happen. And so the, you know, there are rules about this is how it's supposed to be. You have to be punctual. This is how you know project is supposed to uh, look like or whatever it is. Um, so it also comes this element of control in sixes. Mm because they feel unsafe if they don't follow the rules. And so, yeah, as the name loyalist indicates. So um, another thing, you know, being super loyal to family and friends, putting them on a pedestal, uh, putting their needs, you know, in front of my needs oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very normal because I was raised uh, by my mom who is a giver. So it's, you know, you can actually see how it plays out. Uh, me being a loyalist and her being a giver, her always putting other people, uh, you know, in front of herself, and then me adopting the same pattern, just with a little mix of my dad and other people around me, who made mm. me more of a six rather than a giver. But it's like very similar pattern playing out that you should always put your family first, your friends first, your you know loved ones first, um, rather than yourself, because uh, yeah. you cannot be selfish. Is like this... you have to be selfless. You have to give. You cannot yeah. be selfish. Is the belief for this one like? If I don't, uh, if I don't uh, follow the rules, I'm not worthy of love. Yeah. I don't do the right it's thing, it. kind of thing, like from an integrity yes. or a moral perspective. Yeah, it could be if I don't follow the rules. But there are also other things. Like um, main thing in sixes is actually fear and like you know having an authority to kind of protect uh, the six. So also, if I'm a, if I'm kind of on my own, I'm alone. I have no one around you. I'm unsafe, or you know things like that. Because it also plays out a big role to have. So for example, that's why uh, sixes are actually a good match with threes, achievers, because an achiever is a leader, and it can lead a six and show the six the per, the personality traits that the six suppress within themselves. Because you know a little reminder: the six has all the leading and other um, traits you know, confidence within themselves. They just have suppressed it so much that now they look up to an achiever and kind of look for guidance or other personalities as well. But it's a very mm. uh, common mix, achiever being in a relationship, for example, with a six um, or with a nine, but we're going to get to it later because the, then the leader is like the one that um, loyalists actually look for because they, they need someone to lead them. They need someone to take care of them. They need someone to, you know, be, be around them because they don't feel... Uh, very good when they are alone but yeah following the rules is a main thing like i'm not worthy of love uh, or slash i'm going to be unsafe and disconnected if i don't follow the rules wow so so if you had strict parents growing up or because I, I just have the feeling and i i'm curious to get your perspective on this but i kind of feel like the world would probably have more sixes than threes because like if you think of a company like you'd probably have the achievers would be the leaders or like the managers and then you loyalists make great employees because they show up they go they follow the rules they do the right thing they just they're consistent uh, yeah, maybe i don't actually 
I don't actually remember the exact percentage of the personalities in the world, but I feel like now it all can change because so many people are developing themselves and realizing their subconscious patterns that they are not actually led by what their subconscious program is. So I feel like nowadays mm -hmm. it's this, even if there was a percentage of this, this much achievers, this many givers or whatever, uh, now I don't think that it's like that because the whole society, the world is waking up. A lot of people dive into meditation, self-development. And so they, they dictate their own life rather than just being run by something that happened in childhood. So I feel like now, yeah. you know, a lot of other, other personalities are stepping as business leaders uh, rather than only perfectionists or achievers or, you know, um, bosses. Is, so there, I feel is like there a stat somewhere? Is there a statistic somewhere that uh, says that told you at one point, like maybe was it in a book that you read where it told you what percentage of the population is in each one? Oh, I was actually, once I was checking some countries just out of curiosity, but I don't actually remember the source of information. So you got to look it up if you're curious, because I don't remember we'll that. Ask Shane to, we'll ask Shane to investigate that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Let's get an investigator to investigate. They're really good at it. And so that's, that's a trait of investigator that we can adopt. And, you know, maybe at, at the end of this, we can wrap it up and say what traits are the best of each personality, what we can adapt to ourselves. Um, but yeah, that's also uh, about six. You know, there is just a lot of things that uh, come up for a six, but pretty much what you need to do if you're a six is to be courageous and to be on your, to learn to be on your own and to know that if you're spending time on your own, you can also take yourself for a date. You can also, you know, spend the best time of your life with yourself. And so I think the biggest stretch for a six is to actually learn how to be happy on their own and how to not look for external validation, external factors, not giving your power away to other people or other things uh, external to you and to just really take your power back and know that you can fulfill all your needs. And of course, the, the balance between spending time with people and with yourself is the the best because this is harmony this is how we're supposed to live in a society and also within ourselves but for the sixes it's actually the biggest thing and the biggest stretch is to be on their own so i would encourage every six that listens to this conversation to just take some time completely on their own if it's a week in the mountains or wherever it is to not to talk to anyone and to figure out that oh my god i can actually be happy and super fulfilled and love myself by by myself yeah. As anyone else. Would that also be the same for a seven? As a yes. Yeah. Very much. Very much. Yeah. That makes so much sense for a loyalist that needs to follow the rules to actually even start to question some of the shit that they do, right? Like I remember one of my friends, Mary, she was like, uh, she's definitely not a six, but she likes shaking things up and she's a coach. She likes testing her clients and being like, all right, I just want you to like, uh, you know, when you're not going through an intersection, speed a little bit. Or if you're on the plane and they say, put the, you know, everyone put your windows up, fucking put it down. You're not going to die. Like you don't have to follow every rule, you know, just get them to mm -hmm. test them and just go, maybe you don't have to do everything perfect and be so scared that something's going to happen. Just break the rules a little bit. Like, uh, yeah, totally. And sometimes from this also stems a little rebel within the sixes because they no, have been made, about that. you know, Yes, I'm a little <laughs> rebel and I'm not ashamed of it <laughs> because they had to follow the rules so much that there is an internal part of them that could be created that's like, just 
screw it. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do the opposite. And so mm. if you don't have these parts integrated, this rebel can actually take over sometimes in a very unhealthy way. So, you know, get aware of that. If you have this little rebel within you to fulfill this, the needs of the rebel in a healthy way. So, you know, that thing that is not going to be super detrimental to you because, you know, there are ways that you can still be a little rebel and you don't have to, you know, make an harm yeah. to anyone or to yourself. And so that's really important to realize as well and to really fully ground your opinion within yourself as a six. Because, as I said, we are looking for an authority to, to tell us what to do um, and to tell us the rules. So really find an inner authority within yourself. Like that's the biggest thing. Mm, that makes so much sense. And I think one of the concepts that's come up a lot throughout this is whatever gets suppressed will be expressed unhealthily. So if you can mm -hmm. find a way to healthy, healthily regulate the different parts of yourself, then you're going to avoid that like explosion of that suppressed part to come out. I think we will we'll go into the seven now and uh, we are absolutely crushing the most thorough, amazing definition of all these incredible parts. Uh, so let's move to seven, the enthusiast. Tell us about that, Kara. that's how they act they are all about entertainment they are all about experiencing life they love everything that is connected to their mouth which is speaking drinking eating you know talking laughing everything that is like giving pleasure their main thing is like positive focus and just enjoyment of life and this is a very beautiful trait of a seven because they are actually the most positive enneagram type if you just meet them on the street and they are always full of energy always among people being really social but another side of it is that you know they do have negative emotions but what they do is they brush it off the uh, brush it under the carpet and it goes all into the subconscious mind so they might seem as the most positive people in the world but actually subconsciously what's going on they can have a lot of fear they can have a lot of other emotions that are governing them subconsciously but their mm -hmm. safety mechanism is to focus on the positive focus on the next thing take some more action and so you know for them, it could be actually a stretch to see that they also have negative emotions and to actually dive into them because uh, five, six, and seven are intellectual personalities. So their biggest, um, you know, the, the most developed center is intellect. So that's why, you know, a, a five uh, investigator is so logical. A six is a pretty intellectual person as well and seven as well. So they also can suppress their emotions and just not even know that they are feeling something and then subconsciously it's accumulated and at some point they can just burst with anger, for example, because it's going to be so accumulated mm. within that now it's just too much and they just burst with the emotions. So it's also important to realize, um, you know, that we have always both sides of ourselves, you know, this happy part, but also the sad part. And so I think that the biggest uh, stretch here would be, apart from spending time on your own as well, because a seven is, of course, a super social person and spend, always spending time with people, always have friends, having friends over, always going for a party, coming up with the next thing to do, organizing a trip to do something <laughs> fun, uh, you know, um, being very adventurous and things like that, uh, to also know that, okay, I am also a vulnerable being and I'm also emotional and to show this part to uh, especially other people because, you know, this the strategy for, for being safe is just to not feel, to go numb, to just, just, escape the negative feelings and so oftentimes sevens actually experience uh, traumatizing events in their childhood but they just don't even know and don't, they don't remember it because they've suppressed it so much that it's almost like 
out of their reality already. And they're just mm. going to focus on the next thing. And so big thing here is escapism, is to reach for alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, um, parties, you know, any other addiction, um, sweets, to just escape their reality and to just give themselves more pleasure, which is a coping mechanism because it doesn't actually solve the problem. And so oftentimes they can get addicted to things because they escape from these negative emotions subconsciously so much that they just go into downward spiral of getting more of alcohol, more parties, more friends, more girls, more whatever it is um, mm -hmm. to fulfill this subconscious need of just expressing what they feel. Mm, so they're like so addicted to the idea of like living this incredible life, but it's almost distracting away from like an inner part of them that doesn't uh, feel like they can just be themselves for the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. And yes, it's and you know it's an unhealthy way that we are talking about it right now. Yeah, That's totally. It's in an unhealthy seven, you know, where they escape with the things that they enjoy doing rather than just deciding within themselves, this is what I want to do. Because you know, if you go and have a, a glass of wine, it could be because you actually want to get drunk, not to feel what you're feeling, or it could be because you just want to enjoy a glass of wine with your partner in the evening with the sunset. You know what I mean? So the intention behind it is what you need to look at. Because the intention is the basis of, this is the direction of what's going to be the experience that you're shaping. Is a, you know, it's shaping the, the everything that you do and brings the energy to whatever you do. So yeah. in, so in if a an seven, enthusiast, If an enthusiast is like, uh, the in, they, they go, all right, I feel like going out and partying or I feel like uh, having some alcohol and they witness and they get aware and they're like, hang on, this is to escape. What do they need to do at that moment to actually help them? Ask themselves, what am I escaping from? What is the emotion that I'm escaping from? Because it's always an emotional issue that they want mm. to just avoid. So just mm. sit with their emotions, really. That's the biggest thing. That's the key to, you know, to figure out what is actually going on. Because it's easy to just cope. It's easy to just go out and not think about anything. But it's going to be unhealthy at some point because it's going to be layer upon layer upon layer suppressed and then it's just going to get expressed in a very unhealthy way. So if you already are aware of your pattern, be like, do I actually need this right now? What am I escaping from? Am I escaping from something? And if yes, how can I resolve it? And do I need to express something to someone? You know, there are a lot of questions that they can ask themselves to get aware of what it is. And then maybe they will figure out, okay, I'm escaping because I feel lonely for example, mm. or because I need this. And then if they already know that, okay, I feel lonely, maybe instead of reaching for a glass of wine, they're going to call a friend and be like, hey, listen, yeah. I just figured out that I, I figured out this pattern within me that I was escaping because I feel lonely. Could we hang out or could we talk? Like, you know, can I express what I actually feel? And yeah. so, yeah, expressing so these emotions. Is there belief then, If is there like uh, ego, the, the unhealthy belief that I believe that if I'm not enthusiastic and optimistic, then I'm not going to be worthy of love? In a way, but it's also like this enthusiastic part is an escaping mechanism to keep mm. them safe and to keep them numb, to escape from their uncomfortable emotions. And so, you know, it's about love, but also about safety. Um, but yeah, it's like the biggest, the biggest thing is to just uh, not feel, not feel anything <laughs> because you can feel, you can, what for I'm going to feel negative. If I can feel positive, I don't need this negative bullshit. Go away from me. If you're sad, you know, all these things. And so I feel like the stretch could be also to spend a lot of time with an artist 
because it's a complete opposite. It's like, you know, an artist can just get emotional and just cry in the middle of whatever that they are doing, you know, and then the enthusiast will be like, what the hell is going on? And how do I even uh, go about it? Like, I don't actually know what to do right now. Yeah, they'd almost try to like cheer them up, distract them, and then the artist will probably want to feel it and be like, no, you know, ah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, and the enthusiasts really want to experience life. They sometimes they have uh, FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Yeah, oftentimes, like they they just want to experience so much, and they want to like fit in one day so many different things because they want to just live the life to the fullest. And it can be amazing as long as again you're not attached to it. You know, as an enthusiast, yeah. as long as you don't feel like, oh, if I don't do this, this is actually like, uh, it's going to be shit if I don't do these things or if I don't fit all these things in our uh, schedule. So, you know. Yeah. So they're really larger it's, than life, pretty much. Yeah. And they really need to be satisfied and content and they really love to plan and be also a visionary to plan all these amazing things that they are going to do which doesn't mean they're actually going to do all these things because, you know, they also can go yeah. as a visionary, like far away, what they want to do, what they want to experience. They can promise a lot of things, but it doesn't necessarily always have to be uh, happy, you know, yeah. like, and fulfilled in what they are actually going to achieve because they actually are not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> They're more dreamers, like like to be enthusiastic, dreaming, excited. Kind of yes. Thing. And you yeah. know, the main thing here is thinking that, their, their their fulfillment and their happiness is external you know their, their happiness is based on what they're gonna experience in life rather than just within themselves so they always look for external factors to make them happy and fulfilled mm. which is not actually the case because you can no one no one tells you that you cannot feel something and you can feel fulfilled within yourself without anything at all and so it's all how you feel about what you do where oh who you spend time with so that's also a big thing yeah, cool. Awesome. Thanks, Cody. Let's go to number eight now. Second last one, the the challenger, the boss. Yes, challenger, boss or warrior or sometimes even protector. That's a personality that is really controlling. Is it warrior? Is it like warrior? Warrior, yeah. No, yeah. like a warrior. Like strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, um, or a protector. Because this personality, they are very controlling. They are uh, the first personality from action-based personality. So eight, nine, one are more action-based. Their their uh, area is more action rather than emotion or intellect. Um, especially for eight, it's like emotions are shut down massively. So they wouldn't have like they wouldn't be, um, you know, hugging you for example. They wouldn't really express love because they learned in childhood that it's unsafe to be vulnerable. It's unsafe to express emotions, and so um, they control everything because they this is what keeps them safe. So mm -hmm. they want to like control all other people's behavior. So that's why they are oftentimes called boss because if they are unhealthy boss, they are literally going to tell you which way to go if you're driving somewhere. They're going to tell you what to do, how to dress, you know, everything. Um, and sometimes, and they think actually that it's a good thing that they do that because they think that their way is the best way. So if they control you and if you do it the way that they want, you're going to have the best way possible. So, you know, I, there is a funny example that I can give. Once I was on a party and there was this uh, uh, lady, a girl, friend of mine that was a uh, boss. And she came to this one guy, really probably an observer on the party, who was like there just sitting in the corner. And she was like, come on, like take this shirt off your pants. Like what, 
what do you think you look at? The girls are not gonna come to you. You're not attractive like this at all. And she started to like be super judgmental in a way that she was dictating him how he's supposed to look. And she was doing it in a way that, that you know, she thought that because she said it to him, he's gonna be better off because then he's gonna look better. But she said it in a way to be like, this is not how it's supposed to be. You look like shit, blah, 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 blah. And he was just like, oh my God, what's going on? You know, he didn't know even how to respond to that. And mm-hmm. she thought that her intention was actually good because she thought that she's doing him a favor by saying it to him and by controlling him in a way because he's going to be better off, attract more girls and whatever and look better um, mm. in, you know, in her eyes or whatever. So this is like an example of an unhealthy uh, boss, but actually they think that it's good you know, what they are doing. So they don't realize that sometimes their way is not the best way. And so the big stretch for them is to realize that other people have an authority as well. And they are not the ultimate authority because they don't see an authority apart from themselves, similar to fives as well. Um, Mm. You know, investigators, their authority is themselves, not anyone else. And so in terms of a boss, it's even more hardcore because they are even more controlling as people and so sometimes if they can be healthy they can be great bosses they can be great leaders and they actually know what's right and they have everything planned like everything that has to be done they have all the options in their mind already in every case that anything can happen they already have a solution for that so they can be actually really great at managing people and you know doing a great job being a boss but they are sometimes missing this empathetic element of being compassionate towards their co-workers or employees or whoever it is because they shut down this emotional center because it was really unsafe for them to feel. So then they are not actually in tune and they might easily hurt other people um, in, on, in the process. And they are not even sometimes aware of that because they, they shut down this emotional center so much, they are not aware that they just hurt another person by what they said, as in this example yeah. that I just gave. Yeah, it's so interesting because my sister is a boss which, you know, because we've spoken about it and she's so good at her job. She's an EA and an executive assistant. And she just takes so much pride in like controlling everything and is getting it so fucking prepared, ready, organized, so detailed, just dominates it and has to have it right, has to have it in control and can't stop working until it's organized and in control. And she's so good. Like I would love, or she used to be my EA and she was great at her job there and she's crushes her job at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So it can be a really positive trait, but also it can be a really negative trait and it can stem, you know, from this kind of personalities that can be, um, if they are in a relationship, there could be a codependent relationship where they are, for example, with a giver or with a loyalist or with a uh, mediator that we're going to talk about further. And they pretty much dictated their whole life. And they super control it. So I have examples of an eight being with a two who, for example, prohibited uh, their partner uh, from working. Like, you cannot work because, you know, of the jealousy or whatever it is. You're too pretty to go there. You're not going to do that. And then the partner spent, you know, 13 years just sitting at home and babysitting. But then she didn't even have a kid to babysit. She would just, like, sit at home because the boss would just tell her not to do anything. And she would listen because she would be so... Uh, you know, she would be a giver. She wants to give whatever the partner wants. And so that can be really unhealthy if the personalities are um, unhealthy. So that's also something to look at in relationships, you know, if you're not governed. And it's so easy for the loyalist or a giver to be uh, governed because they need authority to uh, 
tell them what to do because that's how they feel safe. And, you know, the bossy personality can, can easily be so happy about it. And I'm not saying that it cannot go in a healthy way because, you know, if an achiever, uh, sorry, a boss is a healthy and a giver is healthy, it could be actually a very beautiful relationship and it could work perfectly. But I'm just warning, um, you know, of this codependency and, you know, AIDS could be narcissists oftentimes as well because they think that their way is right, they look the best, they know everything the best. And so um, it's also really hard to convince them if they have an idea about something, it's hard to convince them otherwise in, as, as we spoke about fives, if you ac actually have a better argument for a five, they might change their mind. Whereas a boss, what they would do is even if they would be wrong, they would stick to their argument because like they kind of like pride doesn't allow them to agree with you and to actually give the power to you and um, mm. i'm talking about unhealthy bosses of course but they would just stick yeah. to, even if they're wrong they would stick to their perspective and they would actually respect you more if you have a strong perspective yourself they would not uh, respect you a lot if you're going to just be uh, submissive to what they say mm. and so interesting it, it makes so much sense why they would suppress their emotions because with action just taking action taking action taking action and not yeah. feeling because feelings you, it's less control you have to surrender to yes, feel exactly. and a boss exactly. does not want to surrender they want to stay in control that makes a lot exactly. of sense well, i feel like mm -hmm. i i'm learning so much here car so thank you tell us a little yeah. bit about the, the mediator oh wait sorry just quickly on the boss what? so the belief around you the know, boss oh it, like needing to control everything just control is the main thing so i believe uh, that if really. i'm not in control i'm unsafe yes yeah. and you know if i yeah, if I don't control, I'm not worthy of love. If I don't have everything um, as I want to have, I'm going to be in love. I'm going to be unsafe. I'm going to be disconnected. Mm. And so, yeah, that's that's for the boss. And also, this personality is called a protector sometimes because, um, for example, how my dad, as who is a boss, would express love is to provide everything for me. For example, drive me everywhere that I need to be, give me food that I need, or give me everything, you know, uh, talk to all his friends to keep me safe when I was in Denmark, to just uh, have a friend there to take care of me, to give me everything that I need, to protect me. So in his way of expressing love is to just protect me and to give me everything that I need, which, you know, maybe I, now when, we, when I developed, he also is like expressing his love way more, uh, hugging me and telling me that he loves me. But for most of my life, you know, I wouldn't even hear I love you from him because also because of my patterns, because when I opened myself up to unconditional love, he started also opening up when I dropped the patterns towards him. He also started to be more open to me and expressing love in different way. But for most mm -hmm. of my life, if you wouldn't be very uh, emotional person, very like hugging. And I know that he loves me because he would express it in a different way. And so, again, if you understand how this personality works, you can be like, my dad loves me because he drove me there and he gave me this and he gave me that because this is his way of how he perceives that he loves you. So uh, that's also a, a thing to mention, to be aware of. Yeah. And that's, I think that's really great for me to hear around, like, for example, with Ali, my sister, around the boss is because if she's like being really intense and telling me something, she actually thinks that she's helping me. Like when coronavirus yeah. happened, I went to give her a hug and she's like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I think in her head, she was trying to keep me safe. But in my head, I'm like, what the hell? Like I've got like, cause I'm more emotionally centered. I'm like, Oh, my heart. Like, why'd you just reject that hug? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Cool. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the mediator. Last one. 
Mediator. As I, the I know the least the about this one, by the way. This is the one that I know the least about. Mm -hmm. So as a person that avoids conflicts, uh, feels really unsafe when there is a conflict and will do anything to avoid any conflict. So that's why it's called a mediator, because if someone is fighting like external to them, they're going to try to just bring the conflict to an end because they just feel really unsafe if the conflict is, is happening. And so they are really submissive as well um, to other people, to an authority. And they are um, also really like... Mm, habitual in terms of they have their own uh, house and they often don't really want to travel anywhere. They just like to be in one place. They like to have everything known in a way. They don't like to go extreme and just try new things. They like to keep this safe. And um, sometimes the mediator is also called a peacemaker. Um, so they, they like peace of mind and of the surrounding. And so they might feel unsafe if they go somewhere else or they try a new thing. So they they'd rather have everything um, very habitual like every day the same series or uh, the same places to go to or the same friends or everything the same because this is the safe box and safe zone that they like to keep them themselves how's in how's that different to the loyalist with the like wanting to follow the rules and fit in and, and oh it's a little different because loyalist is uh, not i mean it is also about uh, safety because the main thing is fear but for example for the loyalist wing seven as i am seven is an enthusiast so i want to be adventurous i want to experience the world i want to see what's out of there and so it's going to be different for a uh you know for a nine because nine will be just like i'm i'm safe here it's okay here i don't need to experience anything like i'm not going anywhere and so you know it also depends on the wing uh, that you have because like you know nine wing eight will act differently than nine wing one and six wing five and everything like that but mm. i feel like nines are just more um just i don't know stuck in one place uh let's say because they feel like this yeah. is safe so that's how, how how i would say and just really also uh, sometimes being or oftentimes being introvert um not saying much being in their own internal reality and just yeah being very like peaceful, very calm, being a good boy or a good girl, oftentimes, you know, not, mm -hmm. and this is also similar to six, being a good girl and good boy. Um, so there, there, there are traits that are very similar. But anyway, six is not avoiding conflict as much as a nine is. Because nine is just like, oh my God, no, 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 there is a conflict. I need to escape. I need to hide. I need to do something about it to not feel all of this. So um, there is a main difference between these two personalities. Mm, so the nine, the six, the loyalist, likes to do the right thing, but they're not terrified of being told off. If they get told off, they may be like, okay, cool, thanks for the feedback because I want to be doing it better and right and I want to make it more right. Whereas, like, If they're you know, healthy. Yeah, because that's what What Dan, the heck are you talking about? I am the one right. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've got a, a friend like uh, Ricky's brother, Dan, who is like a very healthy loyalist. Um, and he's just takes on feedback so well, cause he wants to do it right. He's like, if you gave me feedback and it makes me do it more right, well, that's freaking awesome. Thanks. You know? And I feel like the peacemaker might be, would it be true to say that a peacemaker might be more offended or like, uh, insecure about feedback almost? Yeah, it could be. And might more withdraw, just be like, oh my God, what is this? Like how? You know, because they are they want to avoid conflict, so they might see a potential threat if someone gives them some criticism. Because you know, they are like, "Oh my God, maybe it's going to be the conflict. How am I going to react to this?" And so, of course, we are talking about unhealthy um, 
you know, peacemakers or mediators. So, yeah. yeah. So it's so one of the biggest differences about the uh, mediator is that they don't have any wings that are like really about kind of adventure or like living a large life. They've got the perfectionist who also likes do things very right. And then you've got the challenger that likes control. So it's just like a really like stable. It's like, if I'm not stable, then I'm not worthy of love. Is that or yes. not safe? Stable, but also uh, kind of peace Peaceful. is the biggest biggest uh, value, you know? Like they just want peace. They don't want any problems. They, they would just give, give, you, uh, give away a lot of money just to not be in conflict, just to not be, you know, involved in anything like that. Like they wouldn't go, if they had a choice between, you know, going to court for like two years to solve a problem or giving away half of their money just to be at peace, they would just give away all the money. They just wouldn't involve in a conflict. They just would be like, whatever, I'm just going to give it away and, you know, just not have anything to do with it anymore. And so, you know, this is also different from six because six would follow the rules and be like, no, this is the right thing. I'm going to make it right till the end. I'm not just going to give away mm-hmm. half of my money to, you know, for whatever reason, because there are the rules and this is, there should be justice, you know? So that that's an example of situation how you could recognize the difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Wow, that's really, really that was really helpful because I did not under even understand that. I think that's because I do not play much in six or uh, nine at all. <laughs> I do not care about following the rules at all, and I don't care about having peace. Um, and I do actually enjoy conflict. Um, so I feel like that's why I didn't understand six or nine that much because I feel like I'm so the opposite. Of both. Yeah, and you know, the main thing for development for a nine is to take action because they oftentimes just like, you know, they just want to keep it safe. They just want to keep it as it is. And so the biggest stretch is to actually go out of your safe zone and do something that you haven't done before and just take some action because they, they are like, a little bit sometimes like sloths, you know, they just there <laughs> and they're okay with, the, with their life yeah. and it's okay. Uh, but if they actually want to experience life and expand, they just need to take more action. And that's also yeah. actually true for uh, artists oftentimes because artists lo- love to daydream, but with execution, this, this is another thing. It's not that easy for artists to actually execute what they want to do and they can have lot of, lots of visions, lots of ideal realities they can create, but actually doing something it's a stretch so you know every personality that we were talking about all these nine personalities personalities two three four emotional center uh five six seven intellectual center eight nine one action center the the best thing to do is to balance all these centers within yourself so you know for me for a six is to be more emotional because i already take a a lot of action but so six is loyalist yes and to you know to, to be more emotional because I would suppress a lot of emotions. And as my enthusiastic wing says, just don't, don't even focus on it. Whereas for an artist or, you know, a giver, it might be more intellectual. Like I need to be more logical to actually have a broader picture because if you go into the extreme of one of the centers, then you don't have a whole picture of what really is going on and you don't have harmony in your behavior or action or whatever it is. So it's, it's good to know also which center is the most developed and then develop the other two as well. 
Yeah. So knowing that like, uh, if you're more emotional, lean into the intellect and the action, if you're more intellectual, even the emotion and the, and, and the, uh, uh, intellect and just like really know what your stretches are and lean into them. Yes, exactly. Holy moly. Well, we've literally been talking (laughs) on this for almost two hours. So, and it's been that thought like I'd, it had to be because the thoroughness that's required to go through the whole Enneagram, like you could read a book and literally not understand it as well as what it was explained there. And so that's so valuable. And one last thing I want to mention. So about this adopting of the best traits of each personality. So personality number one, perfectionist, but really in, in terms of healthy perfectionists, I'm now talking about healthy traits, just do the best you can with everything you do. There's that, biggest takeaway from first personality then mm-hmm. giver give unconditionally and be really empathetic and feel other people be compassionate then achiever achieve your goals be motivated inspired and determined to achieve your goals and also do the best job that you possibly can and be a great leader if this is what you want to do um you know looking at other people as well you know mixing with the giver being compassionate then artist be creative express yourself be authentic to your feelings get in touch with your feelings and, you know, express yourself for who you really are. Observer, have a logical perspective on everything as well. Have a deep understanding of things. You know, do some research if you really want to dive into something um, and to understand the broad picture of things. Um, six, be loyal to your friends and be, um, you know, be kind of committed to the rules that actually serve you and are of the value to you and are with integrity with yourself because it also can be very you know an integral part of you to follow the rules and to be very uh, congruent with it and it can serve you a lot and just take care of your uh, family and friends in the best way are they consistent as well yeah usually yes yeah very much um because they want to do also the best job that they can and so Mm. uh, enthusiast you know Take the whole pleasure of life as much as you can. Go and experience life. Be adventurous, you know. Uh, be positive, you know. Don't suppress your emotions, but stay positive whenever it serves you the most. And, you know, be just really happy about life. Um, and then eight, you know, be um, like plan everything thoroughly. Manage people in the best way. You know, uh, control things that actually require control in a healthy way. Don't be attached to this control, but if something requires control, do it in a way that serves you and other people the most because manage, you know, the management can be, uh, controlled management can be a very, yeah. very beneficial thing, uh, for example, for that. So, um, and, you know, have everything planned and uh, be prepared for every situation because they are great planners, uh, bosses, for example, and they always have, you know, a lot of ideas about how they could make something happen. Mm. Um, so and they're organized as well, right? Yes, very organized. And then a peacemaker, you know, um, be like, like keep at peace, but not be attached to this peace, but be peaceful and be like, um, be a mediator in a healthy way. So help people resolve their conflicts in a healthy way uh, by not avoiding the conflict, but by actually seeing how you can solve it between you or other people or whatever, and then bring the best qualities of yours into that to actually make everyone happy and ma- but not being attached to that but actually coming from the place of the heart and from the place of i actually want the best for everyone so you know they they know how to do it uh, mediators very well how to make mm. peace and how to be of service to other people um in in a way that 
ourselves, everyone else. So, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Kara. That was so powerful, so amazing, like sharing all that knowledge. Anyone that's uh, had the opportunity to listen to this is just going to be like, holy crap, I understand this whole <laughs> thing now. The whole I understand it really well, way more than what I did before this interview. So you perfect, absolutely That's awesome. nailed this. I'm so and happy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to have to get you back on to talk about like emotional, like uh, trauma work, working through emotions, uh, healing yourself, psychedelics, yes, about, growth. About that, about healing, I just want to mention that I actually uh, created a program for each Enneagram type. I work with the method called Psych-K. And I have sometimes even over 60 beliefs for a specific personality based on their Enneagram type. So I can easily work with any Enneagram type and reprogram their subconscious beliefs for the ones serving them and actually make people realize what their biggest blockages are. And so, you know, if you do the test and you feel like you, you're watching this and you feel like you need help with that because you don't know how to move through your subconscious beliefs, I have a very effective method called Psych-K. Um, and this allows us to reprogram around 10 beliefs within one and a half hour session, sometimes even more. And so it's a very easy and quick and um, great method to overcome all your subconscious patterns and things that are blocking you from being your you know, fullest potential and uh, the most authentic self. So I yes, especially created this program for each Enneagram type. And so if you would be interested, if you're watching this, uh, you're very welcome to reach out to me and we're going to do yeah. it together. Well, what I would highly recommend that people do is find uh, Kara on Instagram and send her a message, just letting letting them know, letting you know what they've learned from this, maybe what Enneagram they got, what result. If there's any follow-up questions, shoot them her way. So where can people, uh, what's your Insta handle, Kara? Instagram is carolina.kurai, K-U-R-I-J. It's the same website, carolinakurai.com. Yeah, so Carolina with a K. Facebook as well. Yes, yep. with a K. Carolina. And we'll, I'll put that in the show notes, obviously. So guys, head over to Instagram, send Caro a message uh, just to say thank you. It's so nice as uh, people that jump on interviews and podcasts just to, to, to feel that connection and that kind of gratitude or what they learned or any follow-up questions. So yeah, send Caro a message to say thank Thank you. And before we wrap up this interview, Caro, I just wanted to honor you. I touched on it earlier in the interview, but you are such an embodied, caring, loving coach. And I said it before and I'll say it again. I've never met someone as devoted to getting their clients' results as you are. So if anyone's listened to this and they're like, you know, I, this really resonated with me. I want to understand myself more. Send Caro a message. You know, I would highly recommend her as a coach. She's such an amazing healer. And as we call her intimately in our friends group, uh, the CEO of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I you, feel Cody. Like, That's I so feel... much. It opens my heart so much. <laughs> I love you, Cody. And thank you so much for coming on today. You are an absolute gem. And I can't wait to do future interviews with you because I feel like we worked on, we spoke about one thing when we could probably speak about 20 different topics and we spoke for two over two hours which is so crazy it's been absolutely so much fun so thank you for coming on i love you and thanks for being you you're amazing thank you love you too until next time <laughs> thank you for tuning into the ryan magic show you absolute legend 
before you go, I've got a quick question for you. Have you thought about hiring a new coach to help you grow your life and your business? If the answer is yes, then shoot me a message on Instagram. I've got some exciting new coaching courses launching and I'm actually looking at bringing on a couple more one-to-one clients at the moment. So shoot me a message on Instagram. My Insta handle is the Ryan Magic, and I can't wait to chat to you and I can't wait to see you guys on the next episode.